For Truth with a Texas Twang, Fireside Talk Radio, the show where women ponder the things we store in our hearts. Host Kathy Carafi invites experts to talk openly about what women care about, like how to create lifelong companionship, dealing with mental illness in our families, bullying at school, and many others. You name it, we talk about it. Listen in now as Kathy helps us find answers to our most tender questions. Welcome to Camp Crafty's Fireside Talk Radio, where our goal is to ponder over all the tried and true stuff we women store away in our hearts as we knit our families together in lifelong fellowship. Our favorite verse for this show is, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, from Luke 2.19. I'm really excited about today's show. I want to thank our sponsor, Noonday Exploration, because we get to have Ben Skasha on, and he's so awesome. Noonday helps families by purchasing oil and gas royalties from estates. For more information, call 903-530-9352 or go to Noonday Exploration. So, what I can't wait to do, Ben, is, is, well, first of all, I need to make sure I'm pronouncing your name right. Is that correct? You were really close. It is actually a Sicilian last name. It is Shaka, Ben Shaka. You were, you were very close. So you got, got it close. I know I, I've heard it uh, pronounced correctly, and I just I just was trying to pronounce it the way uh, other languages do it, but not Sicilian. That's a new one for me. So, Scotia, no. Shaka, like Shaka, Shaka. Zulu, Shaka Khan, Shaka. Yep. Shaka. Okay. Thank you, you for it. doing that. Yep. I hate to start there. I should have asked you that before we went on air. No I'm, I'm really on a first name basis with you in my imagination because I love your book so much. And it re- it met a real need in my life and my heart. It, and the book is called Meals from Mars. And I'm, I'm invited you today because I wanted to hear the story myself. I wanted my listeners to be familiar with what you've done. And I wanted to hear the story myself of your own experience and how you came to this place where you could take a topic like racism and and boil it down and understand it well enough to create a parable that is so engaging and so dramatic. And And when I met you, Another time on someone else's show, you know that I read your book in one night. Like, I got it on my Kindle and could not quit reading it. So, it's an amazing book. Well, awesome. I always, as an author, you love hearing that, that someone had a hard time putting it down. And so, yeah, it's a great privilege just to to be here with you all this afternoon and and to chat. I want to brag on you just for a minute because I want my listeners to know what a privilege it is to have you on the show. Ben Shaka serves as the Executive Director of Restoration Academy in Fairfield, Alabama. And Restoration has been seeking to provide a quality, Christ-centered education to urban youth in Birmingham for over 28 years. Ben received his B.A. in History from Wheaton and his Master's in Education Leadership from Covenant College. He and his wife, Sarah, have four children, and they live in the neighborhood where they serve. And he is actually the author of three books. But this most recent recent one, Meals from Mars, was published last February, and it's been such a hit. So, Ben, I want to start and ask you, when did you come to Restoration Academy? This is actually year 18 for me. So I... Uh I started here at Restoration Academy right out of college. It was my first and really only place of full-time employment and was hired initially to just teach history and Bible. thought that's all I would do. I'm the son of a Bible teacher. 
And um, yeah, through the last 18 years, God has been good and had opportunities to get more involved in some different leadership positions. So I was the principal here for nine years. I served as a chaplain for two. And for the, this is year four of me working as the executive director. And um, my wife and I and our four kids, we live in the neighborhood and have been here in the community for 16 years this past November. So that's wow. really my, my tenure at the school. Well, I want to ask you, having read the book, in case some of my listeners have not read it yet, you've taken this very difficult and divisive kind of subject of racism, and you've really come at it from two perspectives, and you wove it together in a fictional story, which you call a parable. So do you mind just sharing a little bit of your story and telling us how you got to the place where you knew this is what we needed and how in the world you ever thought to create this beautiful story. Yeah, great question. So I'll try to kind of give the cliff notes of that. Um, you know, I grew up <laughs> in a pretty, it's, it's a little bit of a longer story. So uh, I did grow up um, in a pretty, I mean, I just call it a white world. Um, I grew up in the, in the suburbs, uh, did not have a lot of diversity in my life growing up, um, and even all the way through college, and was fortunate enough to, you know, be at Wheaton is about an hour outside of Chicago, and back in the late 90s, uh, Chicago was actually the most racially diverse city in the country at that time, and mm. uh, got real involved at the, in the ministry downtown Chicago at the Cook County Juvenile Jail, and um mm. Got recruited there by a buddy of mine who was at the at Wheaton, and it was there that just had a real collision with Jesus in a powerful way. One was just exposed to uh, about well, just hundreds of young people that were uh, very ethnically diverse that were in, incarcerated for a variety of reasons. These were 12-year-olds to 17-year-olds. Mm. Lives, many of them had really hit rock bottom. Some of them were mm. involved in some situations that were so dire and desperate that uh, many of them were going to be facing huge problems even on the outside if they ever did get out. And uh, But really had my world blown. It was really good. It was the Lord popping a bubble and really mm. exposing a lot of my own uh, privilege, a lot of my own uh, expectations of how things go. And these kids really ended up impacting me a lot more than I probably ever impacted them. Um, but it was at that point that my heart really got birthed, not only for reconciliation, but also for justice. And uh, mm. I was a history major in college, and there's not a lot you can do with that major other than teach or maybe work at a library or something. Not that those are bad things, but I uh, I decided to pursue education. And so I heard about Restoration Academy through my parents' church. They were involved in helping the school relocate to another part of Birmingham at that point in time. Mm. And uh, just really have been on a long-term journey of the Lord really undoing me in a lot of ways um, and really opening my eyes to some really stark realities that I think had been kept for me for a myriad of reasons into my 20s. Um, And so um, as far as getting into the book and your question regarding that, so I just occupy some really unique space. Uh, The school is probably 95% African-American, lower-income children, Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of our supporters and volunteers and mentors are, are Caucasian folks who, who love the school, who love the kids. Um, and there's some really dynamic, powerful things that are going on here regarding reconciliation. Um, but there were kind of some lightning rod moments, and there's been many in our, in our country that have occurred for, for centuries. But some of the more recent ones, um, just involving some of the, the shootings of unarmed African-American men, just became a real mm-hmm. thing for the body of Christ. Um, I'm kind of in... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that's in general, but are you experiencing that in a really unique way there at Restoration? 
Sure, sure, yeah. So, I mean, uh, it's it's hard um, on one hand with a lot of my students and their families and people I love and serve with. Uh, there's a lot of grieving and pain going on. And then um, sometimes in the other camp, there's kind of more rationalization or sometimes some indifference. And um, so there's there's this interesting dilemma that there's this intersectionality of life, but not always those deeper layers where we have really, really meaningful, maybe even uncomfortable dialogue and conversation that I think is really necessary for mutual understanding and growth. And so the book was really birthed out of that, um, trying to create something that's a story that can be a little bit more disarming than just writing a piece of nonfiction that says, here's how we reconcile, but taking two very unlike characters that are very unlike one another. Uh, you know, they get trapped together for 24 mm-hmm. hours, young African-American male and a more affluent white gentlemen, and they're stuck together, and they just talk through tons of uncomfortable issues, but in some respects come to behold that each of them are image bearers of God in some respects, uh, and I think their paradigms are changed and shifted. So my burden was really to create a story that would kind of be used to disrupt people in a positive way and cause them to think more critically about a lot of these issues that are going on. I got to tell you, as a reader, I was so excited. My, you know, I live in East Texas and we have a very self segregating culture here, and it's really hard to cross that line, although there's so many of us that want to. And on both sides of that issue or that divide. And so when I read your book, I was so excited because I understood, I could. I could read it and, and know you, that you understood the problems that we face in understanding each other's perspectives. But addition, like you understand our prejudices on both sides of that great divide. And But to me, the magic or the miracle of it really was, as a writer myself, that you were able to take what you understood to be true and understand two perspectives which is difficult enough but then to translate it into a story that was so engaging your your characters in the story just melted me i i wanted to know both of them i wanted to wrap my arms around both of them and their pain and their their confusion and and so the story was so engaging that you created and that is not easy to do so congratulations on doing a fabulous job well thank you well, so tell me a little bit more about your personal story. So if it's and I if I get out of bounds, you just tell me But I was wondering if you like how did Sarah react when she when y'all were following falling falling in love? Did she was she game to to embrace this vision you had for being the person that brought uh, was willing to humbly look at reconciliation as partly your responsibility and, and to be engaged or, or, you know, was she, was she frightened by that or was it a little mixture of all of it? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a very good question. So yeah, interestingly, I mean, I, my wife is an amazing, amazing woman, uh, just a real hero. Uh, I dedicated the book to her, if you notice that. Oh, so yeah. she, um, but she, um, is, a, is the daughter of missionaries to the Philippines. So she grew up overseas, um, was in a very diverse culture. And after we got uh, engaged, you know, one of the questions I asked her, they said, you know, where do you see us living? And she just really made a remarkable statement to me. She just said, I'm going to go wherever the Lord ends up leading you to go. And mm-hmm. when I ended up sharing that with my dad, he was just blown away because he mm-hmm. said he used to 
pray over my crib, you know, a long, long time ago that my wife, whoever that was, would, would say that, would make that exact statement. So uh, she, yeah, we both have burdens uh, with it. It has been a challenge for her. her. Probably the greatest challenge is that she's an introvert, and if she had her way, she'd probably love to be out in the country somewhere, and I've got her right here smack dab in the city. So, uh, but she has uh, made our home a beautiful place, and um, despite kind of having some of those challenges, I think she's, she feels called alongside me as well. Well, I just hate to take a break, but we've got to go to the commercial in the middle here. So I'm going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Ben some more about this very important subject. So stay tuned for more adventures as we talk about the things women store and ponder in their hearts. More truth with a Texas twang when we return. Y'all to see my blue-eyed Sally. She lives way down on Shimbone Alley. The number on the gate and the number on the door in the next house over is a grocery store. I'm here with Mary Ottman, and I asked her to tell you about Water to Thrive. Water to Thrive builds wells and changes lives for people living in rural villages in Africa. Waterborne illnesses have killed more people than all of the armed conflicts combined since World War II. In fact, 5,000 children under the age of five die each day from waterborne diseases. Since 2008, Water to Thrive has built 750 wells, benefiting 400,000 people. You can make a difference by donating at www.watertothrive.org. Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Each week, join Coach Frankie Picasso for Mission Unstoppable, where you'll meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Join Frankie Picasso every week for Mission Unstoppable and learn how. Hi, this is Kathy Craffy with Fireside Talk Radio, and I'm here with B.J. Garrett, the Executive Director of CARE. Christ-Centered Abortion Recovery and Education. We are here to help men and women have their lives restored after an abortion experience. If you want to know more about how to recover after abortion, look for our upcoming episodes on Fireside Talk Radio with BJ and Kathy Craffy. Thank you. Oh, miles and miles of Texas. Yeah. We want to thank our generous sponsors for making these candid conversations possible at Fireside Talk Radio, where we talk openly about the things women store and ponder in their hearts, where truth and Texas twang meet. 
Welcome back. We're talking to Ben Shaka, the author of Meals from Mars. And Ben's been telling us about his own personal coming to terms with the reconciliation and the justice issues that need to be happening in our culture now. And I know 15, 30 minutes is not enough time to hear your story, Ben. But So I want to hear a little bit about how you think your convictions have impacted your own children. That's a personal part of your story. And then I want to hear about your book as a tool so if if you don't mind picking up there yeah so i mean anytime you know i think whatever our calling is or our career is your, your children are naturally going to get kind of pulled into that one way or another because they're they're part of our story um and what god is calling us to do whatever that might be so yeah my children are have and will experience a very different um type of upbringing than i did uh, my i have four children two boys two girls and my two boys are teenagers they're they're both here with me mm-hmm. at restoration academy one is a junior one one is an eighth grader. Um, they're, you know, as I said earlier, about 95% of the students are African American, and the, the other 5% are basically uh, Caucasian students. Many of them faculty kids. So, um, yeah, they they have grown up in a much different uh, neighborhood as well. So we've pretty much integrated our neighborhood, um, mm-hmm. and there's there's some beautiful things that have come from that. I'm so grateful that my kids are growing up in a diverse culture where um, mm-hmm. they're even getting a minority experience to a certain extent as far as the neighborhood and the school are concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, there are challenges that come with that. Um, our neighborhood most days is a beautiful, safe place, but it's not unusual to hear gunshots uh, in mm-hmm. the distance or different things that I certainly did not hear growing up. Um, but I think what the kids are experiencing more than anything, it's not a complex of, hey, we need to bring help to this neighborhood. It's just that they're they're just building diverse, dynamic relationships that I think are going to be so helpful for them uh, for years to come. I think they've been really enriched by the African-American friends and culture that they've been able to be around. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's made their own upbringing more multi-nuanced and beautiful in, compared to much more the homogenous world I came from. And, and I would just throw in, I totally agree with you that the one of the most undervalued things in East Texas is the African-American influence and culture. It's almost like a subculture here where we live. And once I had stepped into that and embraced that as part of the experience I wanted to claim for myself, I began to understand this beautiful family-oriented church-driven, Christ-centered kind of philosophy that permeated many of my friends' And sisters and brothers now and so I wouldn't trade that for anything but if you don't engage at a really deep level you can miss that at least here in East Texas sure sure so yeah. I wanted to ask you for your parents of like for parent you're an educator and I, I heard you say 95% of the families in your school are African-American but for those uh other friends that you have that are Caucasian, what advice would you give uh, to help them understand how their families could be enriched or how they can protect their child from from acquiring systemic racism accidentally or some of the issues? What do you see as the biggest things we need to be aware of as parents? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll try to answer that with a couple of just ideas, and I will throw out kind of a quick shameless plug for anybody who is interested. I was able to write two articles for Rooted. Um, that's a resource ah. for under the Gospel Coalition, but they do stuff for families and for youth ministers, and wrote two articles on equipping our children to think about race. So mm-hmm. I uh, saw those. They're very easy to find if you just if you just uh, Google Ben's name, and I want to spell your last name, Ben, for everybody. It's S-C-I-A-C-C-A. So that's S-C-I-A-C-C-A. But if you put Meals from Mars on there and Ben, some of this other stuff will come up because I saw those two rooted articles. They were awesome. Oh, praise God. Yeah, that was just a quick kind of snapshot in two different ways to kind of think about things with our with our kids. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to approach that. I think, um, you know, one of the suggestions that I do make in the article um, is is trying intentionally, uh, lovingly, but to really expose our kids to diversity. Some of that is hard to do because of where we might be living or, you know, our neighborhoods. Um, but I do think it's so important uh, uh, for us all as parents to continue to put in front of our kids diverse things. Um, it might be literature, uh, the, even from a young age with our children, reading books with uh, characters and people that are from di- diverse ethnicities, um, diverse music, diverse movies. Um, I think one of the biggest things that breaks down breaks down barriers is is having diversity in the home where we can around the dinner table, um, breaking mm-hmm. bread together and sharing life. And so um, sometimes I think that just is a beautiful thing for our children to see that that's normal. It's not something we're just trying to do as a token checkbox thing. Mm-hmm. But they're genuinely trying to create diverse relationships. Um, I do think that we need to hold up the the dignity of uh, other ethnicities. I do think that in some in some homes or places we may have that uncle or that family member that is, is tending to make uh, off color jokes or yes. racist jokes, and really standing our ground as well with our kids if they hear that stuff mm-hmm. on the playgrounds or. Uh, there's something going on in their classrooms. Again, really affirming that every single person on this planet is made in the image of God. They have tremendous dignity. Mm-hmm. They have valuable. They're valuable to Him. They should be valuable to us. And um, that God created different cultures and races as unique ways of of actually showing how amazing He is as an image bearer. He's each culture brings something and represents something new and unique actually about Him. And so. Um, I think as our kids get older, helping them recognize that as well. And um, so those are those are a couple of quick things that, that that do come to mind that I think are things that we can pass on to our to our kids that can be of some value, no matter what what age they are. What do you hear is the thing that trips people the most? Like, for instance, if an African-American friend is talking to you and they're honest with you because they trust you, mm-hmm. what do you find that? bugs them the most when a white person tries to initiate a friendship and then they they end up feeling kind of shut down so how does what what do you find is a sticking point yeah well i think i think some of it can be again what i was kind of alluding to is just kind of that attempt to it's kind of a tokenism type thing and mm-hmm. i need to kind of have that checkbox Hispanic friend or a black friend mm-hmm. kind of fills a quota. Um, I do think that there has obviously been a lot of baggage in this country that sometimes gets brought to the table. So there could be some initial trust issues um, where right. people have been burned before or when those things kind of get tense, whether it's politically or spiritually or just things that are going on around the country, sometimes when we find ourselves in those tense moments where any relationship gets tested. Mm-hmm. 
um, sometimes there's that tendency to kind of tuck and run back to our safe tribe, whatever. Right. And so um, it is, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough work. It's a tough, it requires staying power and thick skin. Um, and, and it also requires, like, I'm interrupting you, but one thing I noticed when I started crossing that self-segregating barrier is there were trust issues on both sides. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I had to do some self-talk and say, what if I'm the only white person this gentleman has ever really had the opportunity to have a friendship with? Mm-hmm. And what if I retreat? You know, what if I what if I confirm to him that is wrong? So for me, I just had to be myself and and ask my dumb questions, because how else am I ever going to learn anything? And so that's what I did. And that worked really well. I I would just tell people, I don't know if this is racist or not, but I I will always not know that unless I ask you. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great point. I think that some hopefully the Lord will bless us with those relationships where you have that freedom to just do exactly what you said to say, do I have permission to ask some questions that may come across as racially insensitive? They might even come across as dumb. And, you know, if you have those kind of relationships, those are a huge gift. And I think also where we open ourselves up is mm-hmm. to say, look, I, I need, I'm willing to be challenged. You know, I, I, it's that iron sharpening iron principle. If you might say some things to me that are very disruptive, I, I think that occurs in the book where Malik in particular mm-hmm. shares things to Jim that, that agitate him to a point, you know, but mm-hmm. there are things that probably need to be said or shared. And so are we willing to kind of allow our own narratives to be disrupted or even some of our own prejudices that we may not even know are there to be exposed, you know? Uh So, um, that's, that's important as well. I find that to be really, uh, vulnerable work, but very rewarding. And, and I will say that in the instances where I've, and it's so many now, I can't even count them, but in the relationships I have where I'm just that way because that's how I am it turns out people really receive that well They, I never get rejected over that ever mm-hmm. so I want to just say that out loud in case anybody's wondering as we talk about this whole issue of race and how divis- divisive it can be I just want people to know honesty and really being vulnerable and admitting I may be ignorant and I may not even know it that actually is very well received yeah I think making ourselves vulnerable is a, is a good first step for sure. Well, we have yeah. about two minutes left on this episode. I'm just sick. I, I'm going to definitely do another episode with you, and we're going to talk about how what tools we can acquire to cross over that boundary and really integrate the beautiful, big American culture that we have. But So in the last two minutes, tell me a little bit about how you have, like your adventure of being a published author and having your book so well-received. Well, it's always exciting when you get to see your book in print. Um, I, I've been really just encouraged with, I guess, two things that I've heard about the book over and over again. One is just that uh, people had a hard time finishing, or a hard time putting it down, excuse yes. me. Yes. And then secondly was um, that it did make them uncomfortable. And so that was kind of a mission accomplished. You, you do want, as a fiction writer in particular, you do want people to fall in love with just the narrative and the flow of the story. Mm-hmm. But secondly, this type of book um, I was hoping would agitate people, not in an ugly condemning way, but in a way where they would say this, this is disruptive in a way that causes me to think a little more critically about these issues and, and to really – 
maybe meditate on their own presuppositions on some things and have their position shifted. So we have been able to use it in some small groups uh, with some kids in some different schools that are discussing the book. There is a 20-question discussion guide in the back, which I think is fantastic for our Sunday school class, book group. Um, I would certainly encourage people who want to read it to read it with three or four other people and and just get into some good arguments and discussion and debates and let the Lord really use it. Well, as we go to the close, if people want to get the book, I know they can get it on Amazon.com because that's where I got it. I got it for my Kindle. Can they, uh, where else, do you have a website or should they go to Restoration Academy? Yeah, so you can just go to MealsFromMars.com. And Perfect. there's a short video there and some other some other resources. Well, well I love that. And we're having to say goodbye, but thank you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today where we speak truth with a Texas twang about the very things that touch our hearts. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you again next week. Oh, fiddle. Got in peace.